Welcome back to Wrestling with Relegation, a Manchester United podcast for which we consider changing the name in the hue of optimism for this season. But no, on Saturday United went down meekly to Crystal Palace at Old Trafford, blunt and weary after such a long previous campaign and yet also not having done enough preparation for this, the very first game of the Premier League season. As always, my co-host to chat about the game is Demo, also known as WWE's Killian Dane. Demo, not only were we conclusively beaten here, but it also showed us how far off we are from being at the physical level needed to compete with these Premier League teams. Absolutely, and what more can what more can be said? Really, we were so poor, we were were so unfit, um, and and it's like all the optimism of the previous season, you know, especially after Project Restart or whatever way it wants to be termed, has kind of evaporated. Like that looked like a team at the end of a season, not at the start of a season. Mm-hmm. And I wish, uh, no, sorry, I don't wish. It's probably a good thing that we weren't talking yesterday because I was not only mad, I was defeated. Today, I am incredibly defeated and very <laughs> deflated. So uh, you're not going to quite get the, the, the full anger treatment today, Brian. And I know that uh, even your own positivity was uh, was wavering yesterday. So this is uh, this has been an incredibly bad start for the team, especially at home. Um, the one saving grace is that at least there weren't 60,000 people in the, the stadium to see it. Yeah, the air was blue in my house after uh, 15 minutes of this game yesterday. If I wasn't such a big fan I think it just would have turned the TV off walked away and you know bashed my head against the wall instead I guess we'll get straight into it because there's so much to talk about throughout it um, the big decision came in goal uh, David De Gea did keep his place over Dean Henderson we also had a back four of T- Timothy Thfosu Mensah Victor Lindelof Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw Scott McTominay Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes in midfield and Daniel James Anthony Martial and Marcus Rashford up top Donny van de Beek was on the bench um, Palace immediately were a yard quicker and sharper in the game. They took the lead in the seventh minute. Andre Ayew got away from Lindelof enough to cross the ball low into the box, all the way past Maguire, all the way past Shaw for uh, Towns- Andros Townsend to side foot the ball home. Demo, yes, uh, a really, really bad start from a team that actually often starts reasonably well. The craziest part, I think, for me is I don't expect to see that kind of malaise so early in a game. You know, in the start of the season, you're expecting to see fitness levels incredibly poor after 60 minutes. Our fitness levels seem to be poor right from kickoff. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody just seemed a little bit off the pace. Um, and and it, it showed. I mean, like, they, they were continually at us. We actually didn't get in to their opposing third until something like the eighth minute or so. It, it was bizarre. And it wasn't like they were destroying us. It's just they were just outplaying us. Um, and then even this this attack that comes in could have been defended. Uh, and there was just no way uh, to go about it. Tim, Timothy Fazio-Mansa w- was on the attack, so he uh, he misses out. So it's Lindelof, uh, man on with uh, with Zaha, uh, doesn't make the challenge. Sorry, it was Zaha. I, I said it was Ayu. Sorry, Zaha then. Yeah, I think it was Zaha, sorry. Uh, and then at the back post is Townsend, who puts it back across the keeper on his weak foot, which was a, a brilliant finish, and I have to give him that. But Luke Shaw was so slow to get goal side. So mm-hmm. this this is crazy because there's just so many issues here that if there was a pre-season, then they probably wouldn't be as as poor here. But this is, this is something that I'm going to bring up probably multiple times today. Why are we so unprepared for this? Now, yeah. I understand we needed a break. I understand that. We went to the Europa 30, you know, 35 days ago, whatever it was. Um, and 
Ollie came out in the post press conference and said, you know, Crystal Palace had four friendlies and they played midweek and they played last week, so they were a lot sharper than us. So here's the question. Why did we only play one preseason game? Like, why why aren't we looking even to our neighbour's city or Burnley or whatever else and trying to set up something? Um, can be behind closed doors, doesn't need to be filmed, whatever. This, for me, was, you know... <sighs> There's no re- there's no way we can expect to be fit enough and ready enough for a Premier League season with one preseason friendly the week before. Um, so I, this I'm going to put this down to uh, yes, external circumstances with COVID. Yet I understand that um, the Premier League did a very poor job with um, trying to build everything back up for this season. Yes, I can put that there. But on United's internal point of view, they have really fluffed it here um, and. There's just no good reason on earth why we would only have one friendly uh, under our belts before this. And even worse than that, only nine, sorry, nine of the first teamers didn't play in that friendly mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. So a- AWB was late um, because he went into quarantine because he went to Dubai. Why was that? Why did that even happen? Paul Pogba got COVID and yet started the game. There was just so many crazy decisions the only one who had a full preseason and had plenty of games under his belt was Donny van der Beek, who played with Holland last week. And boom, what happens? He's on the bench. Now, I understand he doesn't want to rock the boat or whatever else, but you've got a guy who's actually fit. Why is he not playing? Anyway, when it, come, when it came to the back here, everybody was at fault. Maguire, no man's land. Yeah. Shaw, too slow to get across to get goal side. That, that would have been his meat and drink all day later on in the season. But that was on him. Lindelof one of the worst games of his career for us. This was very poor. Um, just not reading the game. And I actually think he's a decent football intelligence. Um, I think he's a good defender. It's his physicality, which I've, I questioned massively against Obafemi last year. Um, and it came into question again in this game. But in this initial thing, all he needs to do is, is track down. I know he's not the right back. He's doing. He's the covering centre-back trying to get across. But wow, he fluffed it. Shaw fluffed it. I don't know what Maguire was doing. Yeah. The only person who I can't actually fault is David De Gea. Well, of all the players that we can lay blame at here, I actually would almost put Lindelof as one of the least to blame. He does let the ball come across. Uh, the cross does get put in. He doesn't manage to block it. Maguire, I don't know what Maguire is doing. There's no way he can... He he takes up a position as he's running towards our own goal. And what you would expect is when the ball is flashed across there, that Maguire can, when he sees that happening, he can pick up the pace ever so slightly and put the ball out for a corner. Maybe he can, can even can control the ball. He is in no position whatsoever to do any of those things. He's nowhere near... I don't know whether he was expecting De Gea to be able to anticipate and take a step out and claim the ball. That seems a little difficult. And then Shaw at the back post isn't there to uh, get there ahead of, of Townsend. So it's a real mess from everyone. And just for that to happen after seven minutes, I think I actually said to you at the time, you can see this being 3-0 to Palace already just because they're so much sharper. I didn't yeah. see United playing themselves into the game whatsoever. They did do that to a certain extent and actually had quite a lot of the ball, but we all know what the end result ended up being. So a real disaster. You've already touched there on our preparation, so I might as well talk about that now. I've got some quotes from, from Ollie about this. He said after the game... Uh, well, we all need games. We all need sharpness. We all need time to get back to our best. I think we're going to get better, but we're playing catch up. And today, of course, we didn't defend as well as we could have done. I said on the last podcast that I assumed 
that we were playing lots of inter-squad friendlies because, of course, it's difficult to play friendlies uh, because of the COVID situation and, you know, mixing of, of people and groups of bubbles or whatever you want to call it. So I assumed that was happening. Evidently, that wasn't happening whatsoever. And some of these guys are ju- have just rocked up in the last week, uh, whether they've been on holiday or whether they've, they've been recovering from their own illness. Um, Bruno Fernandez, I don't want to give him too much grief, but he has a newborn daughter, you know, so uh, goodness knows whenever he arrived, he probably only had a week or two's preparation at the very most. And if you're, if you know that this stuff is going to happen, then we have to have prepared for this. City are playing tomorrow. They played the day after we played our Europa League semi-final against uh, Sevilla. I guarantee you City are right at it tomorrow. In a way, I imagine City are more than ready for tomorrow. And uh-huh. This is the thing that's going to probably really set me off tomorrow mm-hmm. um, will be the difference. Um, and this is the thing I was trying to say earlier when we had the, the pre-season friendly against Villa. Why didn't we get a pre-season friendly against City? Because they were in the same boat mm-hmm. as us. Uh, there are local rivals and I could have been behind closed doors and easily could have played two hour long games or something like that to try and get as many people playing uh, and as you say about the inter-squad friendly you know you you asked that question and I said well there's been no photos of any of this and mm. uh, normally they'll put up photos when there's inter-squad uh, friendly kind of style matches uh, and there was none of that so that's why I was really doubting the the scenario from the off um, that, that there would be a lot of preparation get into this and as I say I'm, I'm so frustrated about the likes of AWB um, with with his uh, quarantine period um, how that happened and how the, how the team allowed this to happen um, then obviously there's the whole thing with Maguire and Grace and you know there, there was just so many ifs and buts and then even you know you and I talked about Greenwood in the last um, the last episode and Ollie kind of did what I thought he would do it, but not what you thought he would do. You know what I mean? I thought he was going to drop Greenwood, uh, and that's exactly what he went with. Um, and it, it, it did surprise me because you know you'd kind of convince me he was like you know he's gonna he's gonna stick up for him and whatever else. Yeah. But instead we went with Dan James, and you know I don't think Dan Dan James was particularly bad or like this is the. I, he, I remember he, he, he played at the level trending. that we now expect for Dan James. Yeah, like that. Uh, Which is not good enough. Is, Dan James was, had played one season in one full season in the championship and then we signed him and he, he started really well and he got mm-hmm. a lot of game time because of a lot of injuries last year but he really struggled after the 20 game mark uh, in fact he really struggled after the six game mark but after after 20 games he was he was on his arse because he, he never had to, to play this many games um, and you know it's a struggle like he's a speedster so I mean how much are we really going to expect from him when he's, he's hitting you know 35 miles an hour 35 kilometers an hour whatever it is mm-hmm. um, when he's sprinting all across the game Um and, and the thing is that one of the main problems that Dan James has is we don't do balls over the top. We have the yeah. fastest forward line in the Premier League and we don't do one ball over the top. Now, I, I was losing my marbles about this because I literally um, happened, because I was watching the Leicester game today, I happened to remember drink water always putting the ball over for Vardy and mm-hmm. the amount of goals Vardy scored in that, that, that championship winning season. And then it got me thinking, we didn't have one ball into the channel. Not one. And that, that blew my mind. We're when always really slow at that. Team is. We're always, what is that about? We're always really slow on the pass uh, over the top. Uh, and by the time the pass is actually being thought about being made, the player is already offside. It's some. It's a problem we've had for a long time. But it was it was weird for me because so you bring in Harry Maguire because you, you wanted to be, you want the ball playing defender. Now, he was on the ball so much yesterday mm-hmm. that... He had so much time to make choices. And, and in the first half, 
Nobody was moving at all. Now, it did pick up a little bit in the second half, and I noticed that McTominay came and split the defenders like Manage does. Mm-hmm. He wasn't doing that in the first half, but he did it in the second half. So at least there was better options and everything else. So there were slight fixes um, to the to the tactical range in the second half, and we did do a little bit better in the second half. However, the amount of time Harry Maguire is dawdling on the ball only to sideways pass it to Lindelof to get mm-hmm. it back from Lindelof to eventually yeah. go forward, it was killing me. And, and I just don't... One of the reasons why we got rid of Chris Smalling is because apparently he doesn't have great distribution from the back. I The stats back it up, okay, put my hands up. However, what ball did Harry Maguire do yesterday that mm-hmm. justified the 80 million, that justified selling Chris Smalling? You know what I mean? There was nothing that I un- that I could see uh, and then nothing that the stats could back up um, that, that made me believe that Harry Maguire is a better centre-back option for us than Chris Smalling because I can tell you, like I, I've had plenty of problems with, with our defence over the last 10 years. The, the, that's no problem. Um, but I couldn't figure out for the life of me what we were trying to do yesterday, especially in that first half, because not one ball over the top happened. So why why even bother playing Dan James if you're not going to try to get into the channel? Like I'm I'm at a loss for why this doesn't happen, and it, it's it's something that hasn't really happened in two years. Um, I don't know if that's an Ollie thing. He likes things ball defeat. I don't know, um, but it is something we are vastly missing. Sometimes we'll do those those um, diagonal balls. Um, across the pitch sometimes we'll do that yeah I've seen I've definitely seen us try those but how often do we put a ball behind the defence especially now when so many defences come so so high up the pitch you know what I mean like it, it, it blows my mind that we don't try this more often mm-hmm. um, but yeah so that was that was a major bugbear of mine and I just couldn't figure out why we were dawdling on the ball so much it's, we went the goal down we got control of the game we got 74% possession yeah. and uh, how many shots on target did we have? Zero. <laughs> so really? Just to, just to give you an idea. Um, but yeah, so that that's the, the position we were in. And, and, and I just don't understand why we're in that scenario at the minute. Like why we had we, we had plenty of uh, possession and it just felt like watching LVG all over again. Mm-hmm. I, I have been a staunch supporter of Ollie and uh, made a particular point of saying how well he handles questions in the press conferences. And in his post-game interviews in the pre- and in the press com- uh, post-match press conference, he basically turned around and said, we were not fit enough and shrugged his shoulders. Well, why the fuck were we not fit enough? It, it's not, this is the first Premier League game of the season and we are the ones who come out looking the worst in the entire league, the most ill-prepared. I was really, really annoyed at him about that. If he wanted to make a point that the Premier League had messed us about, and we didn't have enough recovery time or whatever, fine. But he he didn't do that. Instead, he just shrugged his shoulders and said, "Oh, we didn't have enough preparation time." It's that is I'm not sorry, good but enough. That, that goes on him. This this you know, and I, I like I'll I've been critical of Ollie, but um, I'm, in a lot of situations and a lot of things, I can blame won't be Ollie's fault per se. But this is on him. He is the manager of the club. It's up to him to get the guys fit enough. Yeah. I mean, as well. At what point do we have to start looking at our our fitness team, um, the the guys behind the scenes? Because we are either seem to be uh, wrecked at the end of the season, where we can barely get players across the line, or when we come back, they're not fit enough. So, what is the problem here? You can't have it both I, ways. I remember when uh, when we had a break last year and uh, they went to Dubai for three days or something mm-hmm. like that, and they came back really sharp. 
Um, and that was that for me felt like a bit of a turnaround, you know what I mean? Um, but this time round, it was the the opposite. Like that was the most plodding and horrible United I've seen since LVG's era. You know what I mean? Like where we were so possession dominant um, without shots, and it was so bizarre to see us go back to that. Like because I didn't first of all I didn't expect it to be that bad. Um, but like we now have a formula of how you can beat Man United. Yeah. Sit back, wait for us to, to make the mistake and then get us on the break because the amount of errors we made yesterday was bizarre. I, I It was almost as if we were wearing different colour shirts or something because the boys were not seeing each other, not seeing each other's movement or they were dawdling on the ball too long. Like Pogba in the first half was horrible. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, a, I'm a huge Paul Pogba fan. Um, but I was actually really pissed off when I found out that he had COVID and he'd only had three training sessions or something like that. And I was like, why? I understand he keeps himself fit. I know he's a martial artist and everything like that, but we haven't got, we haven't even got close to figuring out the long-term effects of COVID or even the short-term effects of COVID, how it is going to be on athletes. Why are we? Why are we the opera? Why are we the guys? Why are we the team? Why are we the sports institution that's gonna? You know, let's prove the theory by putting a, a COVID player on. Um, and it was just it got to the point where I was frustrated because he was a, a step off. And like Paul, when he's at his fittest, is one of the best players on the, on the planet. Like people will argue about his productivity and all these things and his his drive or whatever else, right? But his fitness wasn't there. It wasn't good enough. No. Um, actually, and I remember the commentator saying, oh, he's going to be annoyed about coming off or something like that. And I was like, well, he shouldn't have started. He, in fact, he uh-huh. probably shouldn't have played at all. And I, I was really frustrated that we, we decided to put him on there because you know what? That we're in the middle of a pandemic and Man United are going to use the pandemic for many excuses over the next few weeks, um, which I, I'll come to later. But this is one that they... They absolutely failed on, yeah. um, and I think they actually put the player in danger here. Um, and, and, and to be honest, it's it's one of the many comedy of errors that happened yesterday. One thing that was notable to me was the actual speed of our passing was appalling. The, the actual the actual the weight of the pass, even there was no urgency to the way we played the ball. It just trickled along to the next player. These little crappy short pass, uh, passes, especially between Maguire and Lindelof, who, oh my God. who are, who are you know, going to take the brunt of this, I guess. Obviously, everybody sort of knows the old... In, in defence of Lindelof and Maguire, how much did the, the defence really make, or did the midfield really make themselves uh, available? Mm-hmm. Now, I started seeing it, and the, I remember the commentator brought it up. He was like, oh, you see, Bruno's coming so far back to get the ball now. And you, you actually messaged saying he reminded you of Rooney at one point. Um, you messaged me off air. Uh, and it was true because he went from being our number 10 to, to he was playing number 6 mm-hmm. because he was coming so far back to get the ball. So I wondered... You know what is Pogba McTominay doing here? You know what I mean. Like, and then I noticed then you've got Rashford uh, and, and James then coming so far back. It felt like we were playing five at the back. You know what I mean? It was very unusual how we how we set up, and it's almost like we didn't expect Crystal Palace to play the same way they've played for hundreds of games. You know what I mean? But we, we were so. I just feel that the preparation was was awful here. Yeah, it was really bad, and. I think one of the big things now is what are we going to do about it? So we're saying that we're saying that we're well off. Let's just say that you know we're only at seventy percent of where we should be if if this was a normal preseason and you have your optimal whatever. How do we get back in time for next week? It is impossible for us to be ready to play at that level next week. We're playing Luton, uh, Luton on Tuesday in the Carling Cup or whatever it is, the League Cup. 
and we're going to end up playing our first 11 in that just to get these guys games. Or I, pres- I presume that we are. And then what will happen is come Saturday, if we don't perform well, we'll either say that the players still are not ready, they haven't had a preseason, or they were too tired. And I, I'm going I- to make a prediction for you now. I think we'll lose to Luton um, on Tuesday um, because they'll come thinking it's the FA Cup final mm-hmm. and I think they'll win um, because our lads are all over the place. And as you say, we kind of have to play the starting 11. We, we kind of have to. Um, but see... Look how our team played without Matic. You know what I mean? Look, look how we played without Greenwood. The craziest part for us is if our starting eleven is at all changed, we are all over the place. Yeah, it's going to be a really difficult one. I mean, I, I can actually see a scenario where they try and justify playing reserve players against Luton. That now has become a fixture I am worried about. I should not be worrying about what is going to happen uh, at Luton Town. But uh, this is a position we're already in after just one game, after uh, just seeing how ill-prepared we were. I want to talk about a couple of extra things uh, in the match. There's obviously one big incident of, uh, re- uh, revolving around the penalty that Palace got. But um, even before that, I-, I mentioned the first 15 minutes really drove me crazy. On 13 minutes, Lindelof headed the ball back to De Gea from about halfway, oh ins- my God. about halfway inside his own half. Now, De Gea, to be fair, was fairly quick out of his box. I guess he was anticipating this happening. But then when he got there to clear the ball, I, think, I guess he was looking at Zaha and just totally fluffed it. And oh, Zaha could easily have got there, blocked that or charged that down and uh, put the ball in the back of the net. He It was so indecisive from De Gea, especially because he got himself into that place, a decent position to begin with, and then once he got himself there, he didn't do anything. Very, very fortunate not to concede another well, goal. I will tell you one thing. I think with the introduction to of, of Dean Henderson, I feel there's a little bit of uh, nervousness from De Gea because this is the most I've seen De Gea out of his box in the, his entire career mm. at Man United so th- there was two or three instances where this happened like there's another one where he was really high off, off uh, out of the box and I've never he's never been a sweeper keeper you know what I mean it, it's he, he's kind of one of the last of the old school type of, of uh, goalkeepers you know what I mean mm. um, so like it was bizarre that he came out and no wonder he, he was so indecisive because he hasn't, he hasn't he had a nosebleed he hasn't done that in 10 years that was an easy bounce yeah and like I could not believe that this almost became a goal because I, we make fun of the fact that he's not great in the air, but he didn't have to jump for this one. All mm-hmm. he had to do was nut it at his keeper uh, or at at the very worst, let it drop further and then pass it back to the keeper. Mm-hmm. It, it just this is, a, this is a guy who's really struggling um, to... to at this level which is bizarre because he's played at this level for four years when the ball was bouncing up you could feel it I know my heart stopped because I knew we are now way past the point of uh, when Lindelof gets the ball we start to worry especially at a bouncing ball especially at a ball where he's challenging for a header God knows how the rest of the team feel every time they see that scenario happen do you know what Like th- this, this is going to sound odd because of all the criticism he gets but I'd rather have Phil Jones playing than, than Lindelof because Phil Jones would at least try and hit it out as I guess there's as, that uh, no as bad as Phil Jones you know the, the, the criticism he'll get what would he have done in the, in the exact same scenario what would he have done he'd have probably fell over sure but he would have got rid of the ball no it would have been he, he would have strongly cleared the ball I don't have any problem with that 
this is my problem. The reason why we've bought him is because he's a ball playing defender who somehow isn't comfortable on the ball. No, he's not so, that great. So this is this this is why we then replaced him with Maguire and then put him next to Maguire. Like, I agree, Lindelof was our best defender in in Mourinho's final eighteen months, in my opinion. Um, however, I can't for the life of me figure out what he adds to this this unit at the back. Now, maybe maybe Maguire's the problem because we've seen so many times that he's been out of position um, or he's been caught in two minds. He, he was just as bad yesterday. He was just as he, bad. His only saving grace is he looks comfortable on the ball. Mm-hmm. He looks comfortable. But the comfort yesterday was pass it to Lindelof, get it back, pass it to Lindelof, get it back, hope, hope that a midfielder becomes free. Um, and that was it, really. We didn't really see much else from Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he at least looks comfortable on the ball. He at least looks comfortable when the ball's in the air. Um, whereas Lindelof, for, I, I was praising him earlier because I do think he is a good defender I just don't think he's good enough for the Premier League um, and that is you know it's such I know it's a juxtaposition in some way because he's been here long enough but he is obviously not learning he's obviously not bulking up mm-hmm. you know what I mean like there's the physicality was embarrassing yes, yesterday embarrassing he's a decent um, sized guy he's just not he's just not he's that way in- one. There's, he, there's no excuse he's, yeah he's just not that way inclined that's, just, that's- and, and I'm sorry but if you're going to play centre defence you have to be you have to be that way inclined. And he's not slow. You know, like Harry hasn't got a great turn of pace at all. Victor does. He's got a little bit of pace. It's not like he's he's hopeless, um, but he has absolutely no strength. And for some reason, like, it just seems to be getting, you know, if, uh, targeted. He must be getting targeted now. Of course. They know, just, just hit it Lindelof, just hit it Lindelof. Mm-hmm. And this is, I was saying this uh, on Twitter yesterday. I was like, we may as well put Mangi on now mm-hmm. so he yeah. can learn the game because he's not going to mess up as much as Lindelof is going to mess up. No. You know what I mean? Or if he does, he can hopefully learn from it. The thing that blows my mind is Lindelof isn't learning from this. It's not getting better because he's not a good partner for Maguire. They, they, they for some reason, never gelled because we, we brought in Harry too late into the window, so they never got a chance to settle together, never got a pre-season together, and then all the 40-odd games that they played together, they still haven't learned each other's way. They still haven't learned each other's position. So you know what? We're going to just go another season with this and hope for the best. And that just blows my mind that every other team in the world can see a problem and fix it. But we don't see a problem, and we're certainly not trying to fix it. You won't have heard this yesterday because uh, you listened to the American broadcast, but Gary Neville was on uh, co-commentary and said that uh, United will never win the title with these two in central defense, uh, which seemed like the biggest understatement of all time. But of course, he's right. So I guess the only, uh, unless we uh, take the money that we're looking at for Jaden Sancho and go and buy somebody else at center half, the only other thing we can do is well, as you said, either bring Mangi through, which seems one of the extreme options, or offer Chris Smalling a new contract and you know, just get down on our knees and beg this yeah. guy for our for, for forgiveness for even Absolutely. considering that he wasn't our best center half. Absolutely. Or, you know, you in my opinion, Bai is the better partner for Maguire. I understand Bai has calamity in him. He hasn't he uh, hasn't learned either. And I know but he hasn't I, played. I, I think his physical, his physicality can cover for mistakes better than Lindelof can because he can outshrug. And, and, and listen, the likes of Troy Deeney and stuff like that have said they hate coming up against the likes of Bay because he's fast and strong. You know what I mean? And, and, and if you've got these kind of annoying, you know, center center forwards in the league who are, you know, strong and whatever else, who are saying, yeah, Bay is a nightmare to play against. Well, then maybe that's the decision we have to make. Yes. 
he, he's he's injury prone. Um, yes, he has you know that um, maybe the on on field IQ isn't brilliant. Um, however, it can't be any worse than what we saw yesterday. And I, I'm I'm sorry, like that. You know, I think Harry shares the blame as much as Lindelof here. Totally. But I think Lindelof should be backing up Harry. He shouldn't be Harry's partner. And I think it, it needs to be that other position because we need somebody fast next to Harry. Gary said, I know Gary definitely said that. We need somebody with pace next mm-hmm. to Harry Maguire. Yeah. We've we've put all listen, all the all the, the eggs are in the basket with the Maguire basket because we spent a fortune on this man. He is he is our club captain. Um we we can't you know, we, we won't drop him. He's English, you know what I mean? He's not going to get dropped, um, so you have to be smart about who you put next to him. Um, now, for Leicester, he was playing generally playing as part of a three-man defence with Johnny Evans beside him. Now, Johnny's not fast, but Johnny is a pretty smart, intelligent player, and it gave um, he was able to cover for a lot of Harry's weaknesses. Um, they were playing but, a lot deeper as well, by the way. A lot deeper. They weren't playing this high line that that, that United play. Hmm. Um, United's high line is is killing us, um, and. We don't really press from the front consistently, so I almost don't know why we do the high line in the first place. It's like we yesterday our pressing was so poor yesterday. I actually couldn't believe how bad it was because we set up to press and then don't press. Like it, it, it doesn't make sense, you know. And I was watching Liverpool today, so Liverpool. Uh, I'm I'm literally watching how they press, and you know they're going to press like five you know five minutes hard 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 then stop wait another five minutes hard 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 and it's like it makes sense if you're going to be a pressing team you you choose your moments when to press and when not to press we just didn't mm-hmm. we set up the press and didn't press like i don't think i saw any other defenders make an error which they were so well drilled i mean I, i've said i said this thing on the last podcast i've said it again um about roy hodgson that supposedly is one of roy's best qualities as a manager and to what he instills in his coaching staff that they do their drills just again and again and again to the to the uh the point of boredom for for guys but it's drilled into their heads it becomes muscle memory they are well organized and they showed it yesterday absolutely uh, might as well talk about this penalty decision into the second half uh, on 69 minutes uh palace got this penalty we'll be talking about it for a long long time i broke into the box and basically just sort of flicked the ball up in the air he, he kind of miscontrolled it but it struck the arm of lindelof who was uh less than a couple of meters away right his right arm was slightly raised because he was running obviously and just incredibly after var it was given his handball De Gea saves what was a really lazy oh penalty my for my... It was a dreadful penalty. But it, it seemed like about a minute later, the game was pulled back for a retake. Um, yeah. De Gea had stepped literally a few inches off his line uh, before the ball was struck. So then uh, Palace changed penalty takers. Zaha then stood up and took it, making it 2-0 to Palace. Demo, this was just a farce from beginning to end. So with the penalty itself... Now, this is going to be argued because they've changed the laws that if it hits the shirt, you know, the, the, the top of the arm, it's not a, it's not a handball, but mm-hmm. anything else is. And I watched the replay over and over and over again, and I couldn't tell where it hit. You know what I mean? So if they were able to make that decision that it's a penalty, and then like Gabrielle in the Arsenal game, who has the most blatant handball I've yeah. ever seen, and it doesn't count, then so th- immediately the consistency didn't work yesterday at all from the referees. So... Pff, who knows? So they get the penalty anyway. De Gea, De Gea saves it. 
which is a brilliant save because he gets down really well to his right but apparently he's just off the line and I'm so frustrated because I'm like I'm thinking of Tim Krul last season where he's like diving you know, mm-hmm. two yards off his line and gets away with it but you know when you're when you're I, I just think common sense has to take over because what they've said is well it's going to be done like with the protractors just like uh, you know just like the uh, offsides. offsides and I'm like oh brilliant we are going to have matches that are going to last forever now because of this crap but Listen, you know, there's not much I can do here. I'm just going to hope that it all evens out in the year because, you know, we we were uh, we, we we were, pen, you know, for penalty gods last year, Varchester yeah. United and all that crap. So, um, it doesn't take away from the fact that Palace we weren't doing much to get uh, anything back against Palace, you know, so I, I can't, it wasn't like it was the deciding factor as to why yeah. we lost yesterday, Just, but I'm pissed off because I felt it was so poor, and then why were they allowed to change penalty takers? I, yeah, I, I don't know, was that a thing? So how's that How's that allowed? Mm. Right, in my opinion, it should be how you had to step up again, because, they, so well, could, we, could we just put somebody else in nets for the, to, 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 to save the penalty? Would that have been possible if we had said, right, I tell you what, uh, Look, Shaw, jump in that's there, buddy. You can you can try to save the penalty. So th- this is why I don't understand why it's okay to have uh, the, the penalty change when they've decided that he's encroached. So that that is a load of bollocks to, to begin with. So there's there's a comedy of errors with that, and I can guarantee two three weeks time we won't even get we get the projectors out for the, the keeper coming off the line. It's just where that we happen to be that first of the season bollocks. Um, but yeah, I was very frustrated with that. But you know, it doesn't take away from the fact that. Um, we were very poor. Um, IU got through, and he actually should have done better. Than even though he got the penalty off Lindelof, yeah, he actually fluffed it yeah, so badly. Totally. Yeah. It was an, it was actually an embarrassment on his part. He actually had a terrible game. Um, his movement was good, but like he he really lost lost the plot when it came in those situations. Um, can I ask? Yeah, can I, mean, I can I ask about goalkeepers since you you've done a little absolutely. goalkeeping in your time? Are we at the point now where the goalkeeper, when he's standing on the line for the penalty, should? Take uh, should actually position himself behind the line, in other words, closer to the net, in order that he can take a small step forward and still be on the line when he saves it. Yeah, probably for the best because so when I'm just literally going to tell you how this works. Uh, when the penalty comes, I I bend my knees, I'm leaning forward, and then I'm going to dive left or right, but in a forward motion, mm-hmm. and it's just natural because you, you, you're taught as a goalkeeper, you're taught to um, create the angles. You know what I mean. So the angles come from your you, you coming forward. So it's going to be impossible to stay on a fucking line. Um, you know, I, I couldn't imagine trying to save a penalty stand on a line. I, I mean, like within a yard, yes, because you know some of the lads who take the piss by coming out so far. But it's going to be incredible. Um, what people are going to do to try and get around this because this is this is really anti-goalkeeper this um, but uh, I did see I think it was Alison Becker today he took a step behind the line mm-hmm. so yeah. that when, when he took off his, his back foot was was behind the line right. so that made sense um, so I think that's what they're going to have to do which then makes you look smaller in the goal you know what I mean so it's like there's a lot of things which are, are going to it's going to be very difficult for goalkeepers to get uh, get a good penalty save this year but um, you know one thing oh, I, just, what, what, I just feel bad for David because yeah. he hasn't saved an awful lot of penalties for us. Yeah. He actually did a brilliant job saving that one because he got down really, really fast to his right. Was it a tame shot? Sure, but you know he could easily have been wrong-footed. You know what I mean? 
Well, one thing with handball now is we are finally at the point where the attacker has the option of flicking the ball up towards the defender's hand in order to, in yep. order to gain the advantage. That hadn't been the case previously. No, nope. uh, I think that's that where we are now. They're trying to say, so Dermot Gallagher, whatever his name is, um, said because Lindelof's arm was in the air, Mm-hmm. Um, if if his arm wasn't in the air, if it was like down a little bit further below his sides, they would have probably not given the penalty against him. Yeah, and I, I was like, I have the what? I have I have it verbatim here from because I checked the laws of the game. Just to, the, the laws of the game have actually not changed a huge amount. Um, the, the big thing that has changed in terms of handball is that remember last season we saw a lot of goals disallowed because earlier on in the play it had it had. Uh, uh, hit someone, uh, hit the attacker's arm, and if it hit the attacker's arm for any reason, it was getting done. It was getting called off. Well, now the main change to handball is that it has to be something that causes the goal immediately. So even if there's like five seconds in between that happening, uh, a handball and that happening, that it's uh, it's not going to get counted. It has to be immediate. So the actual rules on defending, the laws of the game on defending have not changed that much, no matter what anybody has said. So it, it, it'll still be an offense, and this is verbatim, if uh, the hand or arm makes the body unnaturally bigger, so that's a phrase we've been list- heard for a while, especially since the PSG game a couple, uh, a couple of seasons ago. It's also an offense if the hand arm is above or beyond the shoulder level, and the, the, these offenses apply even if the ball touches a player's hand arm directly from the head or body, including the foot of another player who is close. So just to repeat that, if uh, just like this scenario happened here, even if it is an accident, even if it is close, if the ball hits that person's hand, uh, hits the defender's hand when uh, their body has been made unnaturally bigger or the arm is above the shoulder level, then it's going to be given. Wonderful. This is what we're going to be stuck with. They've finally done it. They've finally really wrecked the handball rule. And we'll just see what kind of havoc it causes throughout the rest of the season. I suppose we should talk about the the United goal. I say this with uh, with deep breaths and sighs, as you can probably hear. Sorry for that. But um, at least uh, Donny van der Beek, who came on as a substitute at halftime, he did grab a goal for us on 80 minutes. Um, it was a, a cross from Fosu Mensa that was... Totally aimless, but it's still, uh, I think it was Coate managed to, managed to re- make a real hash of it and hit the ball, uh, towards Van de Beek, who was able to just side foot it in. So that was nice for him, at least. <clears throat> yeah, delighted for Van de Beek, like, um, to get himself started with the goal was great. He looked pretty sharp when he came on. We are, after, after half time, we set up better. McTominay was splitting the defense better. So he was able to come by, offer the option for the passes. And then he, he, Scott was at least trying to bring the ball forward. Um, it was just, frustrating to watch at times when, when that wasn't happening Shaw was just a, a bit off the pace normally yeah, he gives, was. Him, keeps himself more gives himself more options for Harry on the left hand side but he was just a bit off um, but no, Van der Beek looked great um, and the questions were like why didn't he start yeah uh, Zaha- goal, I'm delighted for him he got, he got off to a great start for mm-hmm. his career um, because that's the first thing people are going to say is, oh, why doesn't this midfielder score 30 goals a year, you know? Um, so good for him that he, he got a, a goal in his first Premier League game. Uh, Zaha did win the game on 85 minutes. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about the defending because we've we've gone through it, but but Lindelof simply, he wasn't strong enough in the initial tackle. Oh tack- my God. Wasn't strong enough in, in the initial tackle as Zaha received a pass on the edge of the box. That was the main opportunity for him to win the ball. The, the, the it main- was a 50-50 in Lindelof's favour. Let's let, let's try to put it in the best possible terms. 
um, the ball the ball was his to to lose. To right, yeah, and he just sort of poked at the ball and oh, and, and, and and you know made no sort Fell of clearance over. whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, Zaha then got himself into a great position between Lindelof and Maguire and just fired it back across uh, De Gea into uh, De Gea's right hand post. So yeah, again, there's almost no point in talking about the defending. We've we've gone we've gone through it there. Lindelof should have been stronger. Oh my uh, god, should have done something. I said about it. his physicality. You know, you know, we, we you and I debated about it, but with him with Oma Femi last uh, against mm-hmm. Southampton, um, and we debated it again. Um, I'm trying to remember what match it was, but it, it happened again. Um, he had looked pretty solid against Leicester, against Jimmy Vardy. You know, he, it, it seemed to be uh, handling the physicality pretty well against Vardy, and then yesterday, Zaha flattened him. And the best part is Zaha barely touched him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very embarrassed with how that happened. Great take from Zaha. Very happy for him. You know, it's been a bit poetic for him because you know it didn't it didn't work out too well for him at, at United. Um, and he went back to Palace. And I know he's trying to get out of Palace now to try and get to a bigger team. Um, Palace put a very high price tag on him, so he's kind of stuck there a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's not let it get to him. He's the captain of the team, and as a captain, he scored two goals yesterday uh, against his old team. And uh, it, for me, it was just an embarrassment. Yeah. Um, I, I can't, I can't even blame De Gea. It's not his fault. It was a decent shot, you know. Um, I could, the only person who lays blame on that one is, was Lindelof, and it was very poor. And if he starts the next game, then well, pff, that's us for the season. That's that. We're not going to drop anybody who's poor. I wonder, I wonder how fit Smalling is at this point. Surely he's keeping himself fit for in the hope of going to Roma. Well, the Roma manager came out and said, we need Chris Smalling here. He said that yesterday. So that puts us in bargaining yeah. position, I guess. But He was Smalling in the Serie A team of the year, team of the season. Great, great player. And we're going to sell him for £20 million, uh, maximum, sorry, probably £15 million or whatever it is. Right. Uh, and to replace him is going to cost us a fortune. That, that, you know, can, like, that cannot be allowed to happen. It just can't. We've got, we've, we've got to be going to him now. And just Chris, oh, we need you for the next two years. Yeah, can we, can we make an impassioned plea here? You know, yeah, because listen, people try to say that his distribution isn't good enough. Well, he does everything else. Mm-hmm. He can defend. He's strong. He's fast, and he can win a ball in the air. So, I don't understand what the issue is. Okay, he was a part of an unsexy Man United team. He was, of course, he was. They were all very poor. They they, they flattered to Zeev a lot of the time, but largely, Smalling made very little mistakes. He's just not a very sexy player. I'm sorry, that's the way it is. Southgate came out and said, I don't want to use Chris Smalling because he's not a good distributor, but yet he'll use Michael Keane. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, yeah, whatever, Small uh, Southgate, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, but as you say, Serie A team of the year, had a great season in Roma. Roma managers desperate to get him back. And this is this is the Roma who were, had a whole board takeover and they're broke and yeah. everything else, but they're desperate to get him back. He's 30 years old, 31 years old. He's got plenty of experience. He's won the Premier League with us. Um, there's no reason why he, could be, he couldn't be there uh, ahead of Maguire, let alone Lindelof. The only thing that you can imagine being a problem here, or it should be, it should be a problem, is if we have done to Smalling what we've done to Ander Herrera, what we've done to Lukaku, and uh, just pissed off these players to the point where they don't want to be around the club anymore, and maybe he doesn't want to be around. And frankly, sometimes I wouldn't want to blame him. Understandable, and you know what? It's one of those things. Um, if he wants to get out, then let him go. Um, and it's. I, I'm assuming there's still a few players that need to get uh, shot out of cannon, um, as, as I like to say, uh, from this squad because you know 
they're not going to be good enough. They're not going to play. Um, I feel bad because we, you and I talked about this. You were so mad when we let Smalling go out and loan um, because you felt he was he was as good as Maguire. You know what I mean? This is this is last year, and I remember that. Um, so yeah, it's uh, for me, it's it's a bizarre one um, that we have put all our eggs in the Lindelof basket. All our eggs are in the Maguire basket, um, and you know what? Like, I think it's a mistake, top to bottom, and it's going to pay. Come back to pay multiple times over the next season mm-hmm. uh, until until what's probably going to happen is Ollie gets fired for for bad performances and the next manager comes in and the the, the cycle continues uh, I mean what should we do now obviously we've been heavily pursuing Jin Sancho we all want the big marquee signing he's a wonderful player he's got friends at the club we'd love to have him it has have things now shown themselves to be so bad that we have to say well, we'll have to leave Sancho and spend that money elsewhere in the team. The problem is there's no obvious choices. Like, Upper Meccano has a release clause that becomes available next year, not this year. There's no release clause this year. He signed a new deal um, to let him through this year. Uh, and Upper Meccano looked terrible for France um, on the, the international uh, break there. So, you know, he's 21. I think he's going to be a brilliant defender. I think he's... But he's going to have to gel. He's going to have to settle in. Um, so anybody we bring in right now has to be experienced, because if they're young and they're foreign, how are they going to gel? How are they going to, you know, figure out how to play in this team? So you're looking at a very small market of experienced defenders. You know, there's talk that Koulibaly is available. He's 29 years old, playing for Napoli, but he's going to cost a lot of money. Um, I think City are City don't want to. They, they don't want to pay it. Yeah, because Napoli are wanting sixty-five to seventy million pounds, which is insane because he's twenty-nine years old. But and they don't want to sell him, and in, they don't in, have to sell him actually. Yeah. So incidentally, just as it happens, because I happen to know they they are also refusing to negotiate with City because of the failed uh, transfer for uh, Jorginho. Jorginho, they, thank you. They screwed City over with. <laughs> um, they had an agreement in place, and then they went behind City's back and sold him to Chelsea for the same money, which is bizarre. But you know, so City have a have it up their nose about uh, they're only using intermediaries mm-hmm. to talk to Napoli. It's a very bizarre situation. It was like us buying Mata was done through a, an intermediary. It does happen every now and again. Um, but listen, there's very few options out there of really good defenders. We lost like Ake could have been a good option for us, and we didn't. We didn't bite, uh, and he went to to City for 41 million. It was quite expensive for a relegated player. Um, but they I got the business done. That was you know it, yeah they got their business done early. So the, you, the you, you're, you're ten you're ten million tax to get it done early. You yeah. want to look at it like that? I I, I I think I, the best. I'm flabbergasted yeah. by our we the the transfer window has been open for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like I'm flabbergasted that we I'm delighted we got Vanderbeek and I think that was an excellent transfer. Excellent. And I, I commend the team for how cheap he was and, and, and what he's gonna cover for us. Um but you know I'm I'm flabbergasted that we are dawdling so much we're, over yeah. everything else. There's we're talk that we're after a left back. You know what I mean? Which is interesting because we have a starting left back. Now can he be improved? Yes, yes, you can improve the position. Um but there's not really been talk that we're after a centre-back, which I'm sorry, we need. And then I heard that the reason why we're not after centre-back is because we can't get rid of Rojo, we can't get rid of yeah. Jones um, and all this. So I'm just like, wow, so you are stuck with mediocrity of defence. Now, yes, I understand your question. Do you take the money, the Sancho money that, that 
is that we're not willing to pay for Sancho, so it doesn't matter anyway. And mm-hmm. um, we're not like we're not going to buy Sancho, and I've had to come to terms with that, and I'm pissed off about it, right? And um, because I, I thought when we that the moment we secured Champions League football, I was like, right. The next day, we should have announced we've signed Sancho and we've signed Jack Grealish or, or whoever was we, we were linked with at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't happen. Um, so you're like, okay, then Dortmund say, listen, if you don't buy him before August 10th, he's going to be our player for the season. We have no need to sell him. He's got a three-year contract with us still. Um, and we ignored that and we, we, we were hoping beyond hope that we're going to get the price down. But Dortmund are not budging. They don't have to. Uh, they're getting fans back in before English teams are yeah. so they'll be able to make money on, on their match day revenue and we won't be able to so they have no reason to sell and um, we're not going to be able to negotiate them down I think we tried to like offer them players or whatever else I don't know what what, what, what the negotiating is so it looks like we're not we're not actually going to buy Sancho um, so is there money there I don't know uh, and if yeah. there is money there who do you buy what what defender is out there and that's that's the issue you know I, I um, think the best case up Meccano because yeah. he's he's a very talented young player um, but he's going to come in and there's going to be problems because he's going to have to settle in how much would a big bag of cotton wool cost to put Axel Twanzebe in it he's the he's a fantastic player um, and he just keeps struggling with injuries it's like there's this happens it happened with Timothy Fazio who looked unbelievable in 2015 season I, I genuinely thought this kid's going to be something special and you know he, he did okay yesterday like I, I, I don't I don't really hold anything against him he's maybe out of position for the first goal that was the only thing because he was away on up the pitch but you know I don't uh, I, in my opinion that's why I say hang the sense fit and go to Mangi go, go to the youth team um, if, if, because- he, if these are your options I, if these are your options then yes I think Here's the, your option the, right now. You've got Marcus Rojo, who's now back mm-hmm. because uh, he flouted the the coronavirus lockdown rules multiple times. So the Argentinian team don't want him. Um, so he's back, which is great. That's that's fantastic to know. Um, you've got Smalling, who's sitting there waiting to go to Roma, but there's a, a whole problem because we want three or four million more than they're willing to offer. Um, you've got Jones, who's injured, obviously. Um, you've got Twanzebi, who's I think about to come back. He is training, so, yeah. I think he is light training, whatever it is. Uh, who else have we got left? Just Lindelof and Maguire. Um, so you go to your youth team, and youth team, Deshaun Bernard mm-hmm. and Ted Mangi are both good defenders. Um, we we'll mentioned by of course. By listen, I I'd start by uh, on Tuesday, um, and if he looks good, have him play at the weekend. So th- in my opinion, by should be starting ahead of Lindelof right now. I think because Lindelof sucks. The best case, the best case, the best case scenario that I can see is that we sign Sancho somehow and then convince Smalling to play. Yeah, I think I, I think that's a very reasonable uh, request. Um, I think uh, it won't. Ha- I don't think we'll sign Sancho. Um, I think it'll go all the way right down to the window. The where I'm going to be taxing you in two days' times with some sort of link of some media briefing that we might be signing him after all, and then there's going to be, nothing's going to happen. And I'm not being negative. It's literally just a case of it doesn't feel like the Maguire transfer. It doesn't feel like the Bruno Fernandez transfer. It it feels. Uh, like the Snyder transfer more than anything like there's no actual there's no actual movement here um, and he if you're in Sancho's place and you're playing in a really fun team right now um, like he was he was excellent yesterday against Marching Gladbach um, got the two assists actually I think it was um, so you know you're asking like do you want to come to Man United and, and all the pressure of the world's going to be on you because we're shit you know what I mean like we, we should have brought him in before pre-season we should have batted him in properly but we didn't 
We haven't learned our, from our mistake with the Maguire transfer. We haven't learned from our mistake from the Bruno Fernandes transfer, where they, they, they negotiated what whatever two million or whatever it was off the tr- the total, and then high five themselves. Well, we didn't get them in in time, so that they weren't like, especially with Maguire last year, wasn't able to gel at the back. You know, and and it just I get frustrated because. These are, these are the simple things. You know, as you say, that 10 million tax to get somebody in early, you just do it so you can get your manager to know the guy, to you know, to know how he's going to play, who he plays best with, what's the best way to get the ball to him, what what's his first choice when he's on the ball, who's going to run there, who's going to run where, and it's just you've taken that out of the equation because if, say, you do get Sancho in the last minute, I'll be delighted that we get him. But it's not going to be great right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's he's going to struggle because yes, he does know Marcus and he knows about Jesse and yeah. a bunch of others, but he doesn't know Martial. You know what I mean? He, he does, does barely would have played with with uh, Wan Bissaka. Uh, he wouldn't have played with Pogba or Bruno. So you know, I know good players can play together, but it's not going to be perfect. And there's going to be a lot of mistakes, and there's going to be a gelling in process. So our betting in process. So like I'm I'm actually really nervous. You know my optimism. Uh, a month ago is gone um, because a month ago I genuinely thought we're going to bring this boy in United we're going to be smart because this is a 10 year investment for Christ's sake this isn't this isn't us bringing in Sanchez going yes there's Sanchez he's a top player yeah we beat City to get him you know no no this, you know the chess beating is over because right now we're, we're getting outpaced by Everton you know what I mean so we're, we're going to be in a really weird position you know, come Christmas, and that we're going to be hoping, like last year, that our rivals are just going to play really badly, and we can try and catch them. And um, we're going to be playing catch up this year because we've just put ourselves in a terrible position. First of all, we missed the first week because um, we were playing in the Europa, um, but second of all, um, we we started on a loss, so you're immediately six points behind all your rivals. Um, thankfully, Chelsea lost today, um, so you know you're 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 like oh, thankfully Chelsea are only three points ahead of us, um, but uh, you know and, and Spurs lost and whatever else. But, so you know we're looking around going thankfully Spurs, Spurs won. Teams. No, but they they lost the the first game. Of the oh, season, sorry, sorry, pardon me. Uh, but yeah, they, then they absolutely they they've now had a lift. Mm-hmm. Gareth Bale's come into the team. Um, Regulion, who we were apparently linked with, has come into the team. So there's this lift now at Spurs that they're they're thinking, oh Christ, we actually have a, a global superstar coming into the team. Now, yes, we we can talk about that, but there, there's going to be a lift there, a natural lift there, um, and they're going to use that. I mean. Son scored four goals today. You yeah. know what I mean. So uh, there's going to be a bounce in their step. All right, um, and we're going to have to just hope beyond hope that all these other teams are going to play badly. You know, are we going to be able to get those results against the top six that we did last year? I don't know. You know, yeah. I, I, because if you just target Lindelof, you'll get you'll you, you'll probably do all right because all the lower teams target Lindelof, and what happens? You know, they I, score. I, I just talked about like the, the sort of tax you end up paying for getting a player in early. What tax do you pay now? For giving this a big lift, I mean, how much is that? How much is that worth to you? you? If Sancho comes in, it does give the team a lift. Huge, so a huge he's popular lift. in the dressing room, and we can, the, uh, you know, we can kind of almost forget about what what has happened here because it's like, okay, right, we we screwed up badly on one game, but we now have the player who we think will unlock a lot of things for us. But you know, how much is that gonna is that gonna be worth? Say, like, of course, it's not going to happen. But say we did it tomorrow. Say we did it on Monday morning. And then you've got a week's worth of being, you know, bright and breezy uh, before the the game on Saturday. I mean, that in itself. I mean, are you talking at being worth like five million quid just to give us that big lift before this game? Maybe it is. I can't get my head around 
the whys here. Now, I will go on a, a full rant later on about the Glazers, and I've got a, a few stats for you about go for, that. Go for it now, because we're talking about transfers. Okay, well, how about we take a, a quick break there, Brian, and we'll come back with uh, with some transfers on the Glazers. That's a pretty good idea. Let's go to the break now then, and we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back. And as we were talking about there, about transfers there, Brian, this marks our 15th year with the Glazer family since they took over the, the running of the club. Now, you and I have had back and forths about this plenty of times. Um, but the truth is, they have taken a lot of money out of the club and they haven't invested into the club. Now, this is a business um, and I fully understand that this isn't the same as, a, as an oligarch. This isn't the same as, you know, a state-run team or, you know, there's lots of different words for, for some, of the, some of our rivals, right? However, I'm sick of the excuses. Chelsea, for example, have invested $440 million into the club in the last five years, whereas the Glazers have actually taken $90 million out of the club and that's more than double of any other club. So they've actually taken more than double out of the club than anybody else. The club itself bought with loans, put the club into debt, and all the profits of the brand are used to line the pockets of the Glazers. Now, I was trying to figure this out with the amount of money that's being taken out. How was this purchase okayed? Yet the Saudis, for example, can't buy Newcastle. You know, it was confusing me a little bit. Now, I know that there's different reasons for everything here, but this there's no money being put in you know what i mean so this financially we're a bit of a shambles in the, in the background now there was a whole thing that we took out something like 120 million um right at the uh, the end of the season there and i don't know if that was a loan for uh transfers or if it was a loan to cover all of the problems of the team now this money was a loan against the bank it wasn't a loan from the glazers themselves mm-hmm. it wasn't a loan from the management it was a loan towards our future money in the club so that gives you an idea that there is no hope that money's going to be pulled out of nowhere from the Glazers' pockets because it, it's never happened. They've never put any any investment into the club. So my worry is this this is a financial shambles, but will this mean that Ollie will be the fall guy when this doesn't work? You see, no more invest. There, 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 there's, there's the excuses that they're at COVID is the reason why there's no money because, yes, we're not making £4 million per game from uh, match day revenues. Um, so my worry is we finish poorly, we sack Ole, and all the progress that we've had, yeah. getting to third place, and and yes, it only matched the 66 points, and I was frustrated about that, and I felt that we needed to make, make a, a step up. But right now, I don't know how we make 66 points. And so I, I think Ole's kind of being set up here to fail. Um They'll point to, well, we, we, we gave you Donny van de Beek because you said you needed another forward, um, another midfielder, whatever it is. But the thing is, the shambles that we have on the pitch where we're not learning from our mistakes, you know, that we're slow on the ball and all these things, are being echoed by our, our dealings in the transfer market. So mm-hmm. they say that they've learned from the mistakes of, of bringing in the massive uh, transfers like the Sanchez's and stuff like that, the Albatrosses. And yet we're still massively overpaying our reserve team um, mm-hmm. and our, our even our youth team I mean like I read there that uh, we just gave Dean Henderson 120,000 a week contract to sit in our bench and I like I get it like he's hopefully going to be our future but that blew my mind he hasn't played a game for the club 
Hopefully that's not, not true. He might, he might not play a game for the club. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, it, he, he's went in as one of the highest paid uh, keepers in the league now. So, and wow. that was him. Brandon, Brandon Williams apparently got a, a massive bump in his contract. You know, there, there's... My worry is we reward mediocrity very early. Um, like, Phil Jones signed a four-year deal last year. <laughs> you know, so... And it wasn't like he was playing every day. You know, it was just that his contract was two years from expiry, so we gave him a four-year deal, hoping that we'll get money with somebody to come and buy him. One of my favourite things that happened is apparently we... Uh, we uh, turned down an opportunity to sell Marcus Rojo to Everton yeah. uh, for thirty million two years ago because we were like, no, nah, we think we can get more. Now Marcus Rojo went on loan last year to Argentina and played one league game, I believe, uh, and that was it. So, you know, this is this is the crazy situation. We're still paying him eighty grand or a hundred grand, whatever it is. So, in fact, I think it's a hundred grand. You know, so we are still not learning from those mistakes. Um, when we renewed with with Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial. The both of them went into contracts over two hundred thousand a week, you know, and it's like, yes, they repaid us by having their their, their most productive seasons, but you know that there was no reason to give that kind of money away to begin with. You know what I mean? Uh, I think it was because of the Sanchez money was the reason why we, everybody's agents are going, hey, hey, pay us, pay us, you know. And now Pogba's, are we going to give him a new deal? It looks like we are. I, I'm frightened to see how much we're going to pay him because David De Gea is on something like 375,000 a week or, or whatever it God. is. So, you know, like, like the money itself isn't isn't a problem, I guess, for us, but it's a massive problem to try and get these guys out of the team. You know, we, we're not in a position where we can tell an agent, no, we're not going to pay that because then the agent will go, well, we'll just go somewhere else. And then we panic and then give the money. Um, so this is this is the whole thing. Like I, We haven't learned from a lot of our mistakes. We got Sanchez off the bill, for example. So we got Sanchez's 400,000 uh, a week contract off the bill and used that gap to overpay Dean Henderson and, and whatever else. So it's, it's very crazy that we now pay three goalkeepers huge wages and only one can play, you know? Um, and let, let's face it, like you know, as, as as good as De Gea is, he's only going to get worse. He's not going to get better. You know what I mean? So yeah, there, there's. It's frightening the amount of money that the Glazers have taken out of the club. It's frightening that there's there's been no investments. Um, and you look around and you see like Roman Abramovich wants to sell Chelsea and still invested four hundred and forty million of his own money into the team in the last five years. Now that for me, like, that, that that's maddening as, as a United fan because. We make the most money in the league. We, we, we generate our own revenue. And yet, a lot of that money goes out to pay our, our, our board or pay our investors and whatever else back the money, whatever it is. Like, and that's £90 million uh, pounds that um, could go into, into your team, goes directly into the pockets of the owners. And like, listen, this is why I'm, I'm dubious that we, we, we get the Sancho deal over the line. Because um, it looks like the money that we spent for Bruno Fernandes in January has went towards our summer window right. budget. Yeah. Uh, and we've, we've obviously taken Van de Beek as well. Um, so our budget is maybe flush. Uh, it's gone. Uh, not Sorry, flush down the toilet yes. more than anything. Sorry, it's gone um, until we sell people. And we can't sell people because Jesse Lingard's earning 120000 a week or whatever it is. So who's going to pick up him? You know, like who's going to pick up Pereira on, I think it's like 70000 whatever it is. You know, these guys are all on massive wages, but they're not playing at the level that, that earns those wages in the first place. So, you know, I think we're in we're in for a long haul here that it's, it's going to be very poor for a long time. And as much as 
as I want Jaden, I want Jaden Sancho more than any. I've wanted Jaden Sancho for two years. In fact, I've wanted Jaden Sancho since he went to to Dortmund in the very first place, um, because I really like watching him for for the City youth team. Uh, he was just one of those kids who I thought he's he's actually pretty good. And then I heard that we might have had an opportunity to sign him, um, but they wouldn't sell him to us. So I've wanted him for three years. So I would love more than anything else for him to come in here. I think he would really give everything this club an entire lift. But the reason why we won't sign him is the money's not there. You know, the, they're going to use COVID as the excuse. COVID is the perfect excuse for the Glazers to say no. And this is the same Glazers who have let their, their NFL team go to absolute bollocks until this year when they, they paid the 43-year-old Tom Brady to come and be their quarterback. And they paid him very handsomely for it. Um and, and it's crazy that, you know, after 13 years of a losing record in the NFL, because there's no relegations, you know, they've been one of the worst teams in the league for 13 years, um, that they finally are going to try and do something. But it, it's maddening for me because they are almost the mirror image of what Man United have become. Because when the Glazers took over the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2005, was it was 2005, maybe it was 2003, whatever it was, whenever they took over the Buccaneers, um, they actually played okay for a couple of years and they won the Super Bowl in 07. But since they won the Super Bowl in 07, they have, they've only had a, a losing record, less than 50% of when they've had, I think their best record, they had one year where they had a 50% record and everything else has been below 50% win record, which is insane. Um, and it, it made them one of the worst for, for the longest time. And I'm worried, beyond worry, that that becomes United because we kind of are in this little holding pattern right now. We'll spend a bit of money, we'll get Champions League football. We then don't reinforce, we fire the manager, we leak to the press that we might bring in uh, a director of football, we spend a bit of money, we get Champions League football, we don't reinforce, we have a bad season, we sack the manager. We leak that we're going to get a director of football, we spend a bit of money, we get Champions League This is literally the yep. same cycle. And, I, and I'm worried it's going to play out exactly. The difference is bringing Ollie in changed the the personality of the club. Um, it changed the, the style. We're, we're effectively trying to go British. We're effectively trying to bring through youth. But he's going to be the fall guy if we finish out of the Champions League places. It's just got you know it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and the saddest part is he, he's been the best thing for the club. But you know yourself, like fifty percent of the fans are going to want him out regardless because you know is he good enough? I, I don't know. Like I said this at half time. Like he needs to change tactically. He needs to figure this out. Why this isn't working? He brought on Van de Beek. Um, Scott came deeper. We played a little bit better in the second half, but not much happened. Not much changed. Um, and we effectively lost uh, the second half as well as the first half. Um, so you know the worry will always be: is is Ollie good enough? Because we're never going to back him enough for him to get the club that that he wants. The the, the players, the team, the starting eleven or the starting sixteen, whatever it is that he wants, we won't give to him. So he's just going to be in the same holding pattern as all the rest. And I, he's already started. He had a little moan for the first time that we weren't that we were short. Yeah, and that's the first time he's ever said anything at all that we were short about transfers and things like that. So for him to finally say something is, is great in public because he's not he's not somebody who's going to criticise in public. Um, so it's interesting that he said it, but I, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm, I'm worried that this is going to be us for the next while because we've got two weeks to the transfer window ends. We're really struggling to shift players out. So I don't really know if we're going to be able to bring anybody in. And you said, like, do you take that Sancho money and spend it elsewhere? The problem is... Is there any money to begin with? Yeah. It doesn't look like it. I mean, I have no faith in the Glazers in terms of PR or anything like that, but 
if there was actually no money there or not enough to feasibly cover the Sancho transfer, you would have thought that Neil Ashton or somebody would have been out there patting the brakes and trying to refocus on something else other than Sancho. Instead, what seems to have happened is that they've tried to build up pressure, I guess, for Dortmund to try and sell, uh, to want to sell. Which is, which is filled spectacularly. So now you're left also with these extremely high, uh, expectations for us signing a player. Of course, if we signed Sancho, it would be the biggest transfer anywhere in the world for this window, you know, and that's, that's, that's nothing to be sneezed at. So if, if this doesn't end up happening, if there really isn't enough money, then it's another PR blunder to add to everything else that's gone on. Like it's PR blunder after PR blunder because apparently the briefing that came out, um, was, the, the, we, we don't seem to be willing to spend any, you know, beg at all because of COVID and that it was unrealistic of Dortmund and all these things to put the price on on Jadon Sancho. But listen, they, they don't want to sell him. So why should, you know, why should they feel at all uh, If the shoe like was on the other foot, by... can you imagine what would happen? Oh. If, we had a, if we had a player that they wanted to sign or Real Madrid wanted to sign, you know, we'd be back talking about uh, not wanting to sell Real Madrid a virus. <laughs> Fergie special. I will say, listen, the main positive from yesterday was seeing Fergie in good health. Um, he looked to be in great uh, in great fat at the start of the game. You know, I'm really happy that um, he's recovered from the brain aneurysm he had, wasn't it? Um, Basically, and, yeah. Uh, he was looking fantastic, so that was that was my one major positivity note from yesterday. So, <laughs> yeah, and you know, Van der Beek showed uh, that uh, he can fit in kind of straight away. So, hopefully. Uh, hopefully that will uh, continue to be the case and hopefully we continue to use him a little bit better than perhaps we did yesterday. But um, yeah, we've gotten quite a long time here just sort of going through all the various things that happened, not just yesterday, but all the ramifications of these. So I think this is probably a good time for for us to wrap it up. Dan, will give us some uh, details of where you'll be before I totally wrap it up. <laughs> Absolutely. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Killian Dane. My other podcast with a, a bunch of other wrestlers at the SSS cast. We, we film every Thursday on Twitch and you can catch me uh, in uh, in person, I guess, on uh, the USA Network here in the States, 8pm every Wednesday or back home on BT Sport and on the, uh, the WWE Network. Yep. Great. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, uh, indeed, for joining us uh, for this episode of Wrestling with Relegation. We will be back, hopefully, with a lot better news. <laughs> <laughs>